Good morning. This morning's readings from Mark 21 through 45. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed and cried, convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread through all the region of Galilee. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew <clears throat> with James and John. But Simon's, mother, Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way and show yourself to the priest, and offer your cleansing, offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded, and a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the matter, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Father, we lift up this morning's service to you. Lord Jesus, we too ask you to be moved with compassion and heal us, your broken people. Anoint Jackie this morning as he brings forth your word. And Lord Jesus, in your name we are blessed to pray.
It's always exciting for me when we get an opportunity to study the life of Christ. And as we look at uh, the beginning of his ministry and as he uh, just goes forward in power, touching people's lives, I, I hope you'll have eyes to see something else this morning. Jesus didn't come to heal. Healing's one of the things he did. And he didn't come to cast out demons. But casting out demons is one of the things he did. He didn't come to do signs and wonders and miracles. Although signs and wonders and miracles were things that he surely did. Mark presents Jesus to us first as the servant and then as the sacrifice. He came for one purpose. The brokenness of mankind is so much deeper than our illness. The brokenness of mankind is so much greater than whatever our struggle is. And it's uh, disheartening sometimes as a, a pastor to watch people whose God is their belly. And they have a desire, whatever that desire is. And if that desire is not met as they pursue Christ, they'll put anything else before that desire so that they might have what it is they seek. And so, truth is irrelevant. It doesn't matter what's true. It matters what gets me my desire. And it is somewhat encouraging to realize that's exactly the same thing Jesus faced every day of his ministry on earth. They came to him. They heard about him. Very few came for forgiveness of sins. And those for whom he gave forgiveness of sins, they would never be the same. At least those who recognize their state. That's why John the Baptist came first. We talked about the last couple of weeks because he prepared the hearts of the people. He pointed out their brokenness, right? Their need for repentance, their need for coming before him and preparing their hearts so that they could receive the truth of Messiah as Messiah came. And then it tells, Mark told us very, very strictly when Jesus came, he came preaching the same message to John. It didn't change. Repent. The kingdom is at hand. Repent. Jesus came to heal us of our sin. To set us free from that. And we're going to see several times how he's moved with compassion and he brings healing. But healing don't save anybody. Healing never ensured that the life was committed to Christ. That the heart was given to Him. That the brokenness and the understanding of, this is me. I am a sinner. (laughs) Broken. I cannot, apart from Jesus Christ, I cannot please Him. I cannot glorify Him properly. I cannot have the right attitudes that I need to have toward Him. I'm incapable of being what He requires of me. So He came. He came so that I... I could be given what I needed. But in order to get what I need, in order to receive that thing which Jesus is offering, 
then I come broke. It's the only way. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the chief of the corner, right? The chief cornerstone. And there's only two ways to come to that cornerstone. You fall on it and are broken, or it falls on you and you are crushed. Only two ways. So if you're coming to Christ, it does not involve brokenness. If it doesn't involve a mourning for your sin or, or a grasping out for something greater than just a, a temporal desire, even if that desire is longer life or a better life, if it's not filled with mourning at reaching out for something infinitely greater than that, then you have to ask yourself if your God is your belly, if it's my desire that I'm following, or if it's Jesus Christ that I'm following. You can't follow both. No man can serve two masters, he told us, right? He will serve the one he loves. So we see Jesus begin in verse 21, teaching in the synagogue. This is kind of a pretty incredible story. If, if you pay attention to it, look what he says. They went up to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. If a visiting rabbi was coming, he would enter into the synagogue and, and they would know, oh, there's a visiting rabbi here. Rabbi meaning a teacher. And so they would give him opportunity. Do you have something that you want to share? So of course Jesus did. We read about it in, uh, in the other Gospels when he was in Nazareth. You guys remember when he was in Nazareth and he stood before his hometown synagogue, the people who knew him? And he read Isaiah 61. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you to heal the brokenhearted. He, he reads out Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and then he declares to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He literally is saying, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, this is Messiah, here I am. I'm Messiah. And they went to throw him over a cliff. God is their belly. And the desires that I want to fulfill aren't going to be fulfilled by you. So he went into this synagogue in Capernaum. Now Capernaum he's, is going to be his base of operations all around the Sea of Galilee. And it says they were astonished. That word for astonished literally means, if, literal English, blown away. Their minds are melted. Their noodles are baked. They hear Jesus talking and they're like, man, I've never heard anything like this. But can you imagine who, who else to expound on the Word than God the Word? I, all of us, I don't care how good the preacher is, we pale in comparison to the Word made flesh telling you about the Word. Can you imagine? There's no question when Jesus is laying out the Scripture. He knows precisely what it's talking about. And so He taught that way. He said, you search the Scriptures daily, for in them you think they have life, but it is these that speak of Me. What Scripture was He talking about? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John weren't wrote yet. He's pointing to the Old Testament and saying, these Scriptures, they speak of Me. And so he stood before the synagogue and he taught and he blew them away. Their, their brains melt. And it, it's, it sounds, I love how the Bible makes everything sound so sterile. 
I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know what I'm saying? They were astonished. We read that and we go, yeah, that's cool, that's nice. We don't get the emotion out of it. We don't see the, the beauty out of what's going on. They're astonished, for he taught as one having authority, not like the scribes. The scribes, keep in mind, the scribes were that time's expert on the Word of God. They were the experts. And they say, now, he didn't teach like them. He taught like the Word made flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So God the Word, standing in a... Can you imagine this? Standing in a synagogue in Capernaum, and opening up the Word that is inspired through Him, and begins to teach about the coming of Messiah. And they're astonished. They're astonished. They're filled with wonder. They're blown away at His teaching. And then at that moment, the battle is joined. And I don't know which is more shocking. That there's a demon-possessed man in the synagogue, or that nobody knows it. See, whenever we talk about demon possession, we we think of the exorcist. Hollywood does a great job of of messing with our minds and, and helping us see But you know, when we go through the scripture, there's not an abundance. Until we see the time of Christ, there's not an abundance of demon possession, right? In the Old Testament, we don't see a ton of it. We come to Jesus, and all of a sudden, there seems to be a lot. Why do you think that is? Do you ever think that oftentimes people could be possessed and just not even know it? It could look good, be nice, have a job. They don't have to be like the crazy guy in the tombs, chained to the, to the tombs that kept breaking his chains. This guy in the synagogue, he's just chilling with everybody else. The Bible doesn't tell us nobody knew him. So he's sitting there, but as soon as Jesus starts teaching with authority, the demon in him cannot be quiet. He's like, This is God standing before me. My goose is cooked. We miss that too. See, some people think, some people think that like the devil is the king of hell and God's the king of heaven. And, and sometimes it messes with people's noodle when I say there's nobody in hell right now. So I have to clarify that. There's nobody in the lake of fire. There's nobody in the place that God has prepared for the devil and his angels. All the little shows that show the devil sitting in hell, sending people out, that ain't happening. The devil's here. Well, hopefully not here, but the devil's on earth. The devil, yeah, the devil is on earth. Today, when someone dies, if they're a believer, the Bible's very clear. If I'm a believer and I die, what's the Bible say? The absent from the body is? Present with the Lord. So if I die, I go, I go to be with the Lord. Period. But what if I don't know the Lord? Well, the Bible tells us that you go to Hades, is the Greek word. Don't think of the mythological place. Or maybe you can think of the mythological place. It simply means the grave. Sheol. They wait for the resurrection. Everyone will be resurrected. Some to everlasting life. And some to everlasting damnation. Nobody runs that place. It's a giant prison that God rules over. Who, who created Satan? So who's in charge of him? 
Yeah, he is sovereign over Satan. Cannot. It's not a battle of equals by any stretch of the imagination. So we look at verse 23. It says, Now there's a man in that synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. Now what exactly? Jesus probably didn't say nothing to him. But he knows. He's sitting there in the midst of the synagogue, hearing the word of God spoken by God the word, and he cries out. He can't be quiet. He cries out and he says, let us alone. They don't want to be judged. They know their future. You don't think they know their future? They know the future. At any moment, at any moment, all Jesus has to say is, go. And they're gone. There's never a battle when Jesus casts out a demon. He says, go, and they're gone. Period. No battle. Wherever he sends them, so he could send them to the abuso in the Greek, the pit. We get to the book of Revelation in a couple of months or years or whatever, however long it takes. When we get to the book of Revelation, we're going to see a time when an angel comes down to the abuso, the pit, where the worst of the demons are enchained and they get released. God lets them out. Apollyon, Abaddon is turned loose. Crazy time on the earth. But Jesus could have sent him there to the pit. He says, let us alone. What have we to do with you? Yeshua HaNazaret, Jesus of Nazareth. Did you come to destroy us? He's panicked. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. That's a title for Messiah. You will not allow your Holy One to seek corruption. Remember? Psalmist declared, You will not allow your Holy One to seek corruption. Holy One's a title. Holy, set apart one, the anointed one. The word Mashiach means anointed one. The word Christ means anointed one, the set apart one, the Holy One, the Messiah. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet. Here's some of that Bible sterile. Do you really think that's how it went? Be quiet. The word in Greek would be way closer to shut up. For those of you parents who are trying to teach your kids not to say that, I'm sorry. It's in the Bible. He said, the same way he said, be quiet, shut up, shut your mouth. He said, get out. He didn't want the demons to be his advertisement. Do you blame him? Is that what we want? Demons advertising what it is to to follow Jesus? They really have no idea what that's about, do they? Look, think about it like this. In the book of James, the book of James tells us about several different kinds of faith. But only one of those kinds of faith actually save. Only one. When he's laying it out, one of the kinds of faith that he describes is demonic faith. You remember what he says? The demons believe there is one God. And they tremble. Are they saved? I bet their theology is pretty good about God. Who he is. Where he came from, what he's done. 
What sets them apart? What, what makes demonic faith? Well, it's this little phrase that Jesus says to everyone. Come, follow me. Demons follow him? No. no. They know who he is. They know what he's done. But they don't follow him. Is it possible to believe in your head all the right things about God and not to follow Him? And if so, am I placing myself right alongside with the demons? I believe in God when I do well. Do I follow? Am I following Him? Jesus tells the demon, shut up and get out. Now, when you got time, I want to invite you to work your way through the Word of God and find when this is happening other times. Pour yourself through the Old Testament. Find the casting out of demons. Someone being demon-possessed was a hopeless situation until Messiah. Until Messiah... Nobody really could help. But when Jesus came, they could help. He said, be quiet and come out of him. When the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of them. And they were all amazed. Yeah. You think? I mean, well, what would that do to the, to the emotional part of the service? Seeing an, an, uh, an exorcism take place right in the middle. I'm not inviting anyone, so. <laughs> so they, they're all astonished. They're all, again, blown away at the, at the, listen, the same phrasing that they used before. They're all astonished and amazed, and they question among themselves, what is this? What's this new doctrine? Well, the word doctrine, guys, is, is simply the word, what, the word for what he taught. What is this new thing that he taught? See, the Hebrew mindset was not all about the words you speak. That's Greek. The, the Greek uh, uh, teachers would stand before their students and teach, just like we do in school today. They teach, lecture, take notes, that you, you, you listen and that's how you learn. But the Hebrew mindset was different. You come and see. You'd go hang out with the rabbi. You'd watch how he dealt with different situations. So now they watch Jesus not only speaking the word with authority as God the word, but then a demon pops up. He gets rid of the demon. Boom. Like he, can you imagine what you think about that kind of authority? Who can use the word of God like this? Who can, who can speak the word of God like this and then instantly say to a demon, get and it's gone. And it's that quick. I'll tell you who has that kind of authority. God the Son. Are you kidding me? God the Son. The word that He uses for rebuke. You're going to see that word come up over and over. Same exact word. There's two different words for rebuke. He's going to use the same one over and over again when He's dealing with issues that seem to have some kind of demonic thing going on with it. For example, you remember a storm tossing the disciples around? And the Bible says Jesus rebuked the storm. He said, peace be still and it stopped. What kind of man does that? 
What kind of man says to Peter, Peter, put your net down on the other side of the boat. He drops his net down, pulls up full of fish. If Peter's God was his belly, there it is, right there. I just gave you your heart's desire, biggest catch you've ever had. They couldn't even bring it in on one boat. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, from now on I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to make you a, a fisher of men. This isn't for you, Peter. Peter going to struggle with that idea. And the Lord's going to do the same thing twice. He's going to, he's going to shout to him later on at the end, after he's crucified, resurrected, he's shout to Peter who's gone back fishing. He say, Peter, you caught anything? And Peter's going to say, no. And he's going to say, put your net down on the other side. Any of you guys ever gone fishing, you know that that's ridiculous, right? If my pole's on the left or the right or the back or the front, it'll make no difference. There's, there's either fish or there ain't no fish. But he takes it and he throws it on the other side. What happens? Same exact thing. Catches a pile of fish. He looks to the, to the shore and he sees, he recognizes Jesus and he jumps in the water and he swims over to him. And after breakfast, Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? More than the other disciples? More than all your boats? More than all those fish you just caught? Is your God your belly? Is your desire wealth or riches or something other than me? And that's when he said to Peter, Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And you remember how that ends? Then come and follow me. Man, Peter spent his life following Jesus. That's what it is all about. People blown away at the authority with which he spoke, the power with which he had. But then look what happens in verse 29. It says, as soon as they came out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew. <clears throat> Literally, if you ever go to Israel and you go to Capernaum, Capernaum, they got the, the, the ruins. And in the ruins, they got the, this, uh, the structure of the synagogue laid out in the middle. And almost, I don't even know how many steps, let's just say 30, from the front door of the synagogue to Peter's house. So when, when Mark says, and immediately they went to Peter's house, he wasn't kidding. They just walked out, went home. Now it's the Sabbath day, right? It's the Sabbath day. Surprising he hasn't caught any flack yet for healing on the Sabbath, huh? Or casting out a demon on the Sabbath day, but, but he didn't. He goes over to, to Simon and Andrew's house. With James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. Everybody understands. That means Peter's married, right? No confusion. In order to have a mother-in-law, you have to be married. He had a mother-in-law. In fact, Paul, later on in the epistles, is going to say that Peter and his wife were traveling. And Paul was, was asking if it, why they were giving him and Barnabas such a hard time in their travels. And taking care of it when, when they were okay with Peter and his wife traveling. So <laughs> we know that Peter was married. He comes here to his mother-in-law. And it says he lay with fever. And they, they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her. <coughs> and she served him. Well, let's talk about the extent of the illness for a minute. Because sometimes we think, oh, it's just a fever. What's the big deal? Jesus came and touched her. She wanted to serve, popped up and was ready to go. That's why I love the other Gospels, because sometimes they give us a little more insight. In Luke 
It says, now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Pretty much the same, right? But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. The, The word in the Greek means great. The idea is that not only did she have a high fever, she was burning up, she was bedridden, but it also in the Greek would state that it has been a continuous fever for a while. But we don't know how long, but she's seriously down. She's down and out. In fact, I would go so far as to say, after Jesus is teaching in the, at, at Capernaum, and he's laying out there in the synagogue, and he casts out the demon... That, uh, that Simon and Andrew are thinking, hey, let's, let's take him over to, to the house and see if he, can't, if he can't heal my mother-in-law. So they bring him. They brought him over. And in uh, Luke 4.39, it says he stood over her. What's this phrase in Luke 4.39? He did what to the fever? Rebuked the fever. That's interesting, isn't it? He rebuked the fever. Why? Why would he need to rebuke the fever? Occasionally, not all the time, but occasionally the illness that people are struggling in is an illness that's been brought by the enemy. Demonic oppression. He rebukes the fever, stands over her like a doctor, reaches down and grabs a hold of her hand and lifts her up. The fever's gone. What has he provided for her? He has provided for her temporal relief. What do I mean by that? She ever get sick again? I would imagine. Well, what about at the end of her life? What happened? She died, right? It's temporary. Was her God her belly? Was all that she wanted just to, to have that, that fever released and, and, and to be able to get up? And I think one of the reasons we can know that that wasn't her attitude is what she does next. She'd been in bed. She'd been sick. Jesus touches her immediately. The fever leaves her immediately. She feels good. By the way, every healing you'll ever look at for Jesus was not a, a slow heal. It was now. If he healed, it was now. If you didn't have hands, the hands were back. You didn't have feet, the feet were back. Your eyes didn't work, your eyes work now. When he healed, it was now. Immediately. So immediately she gets up and she serves them. She serves him. You know, anytime you really come to recognize the glory and majesty of uh, the Lord, you want to serve him. If you don't, you won't. You'll be satisfied with just chasing whatever the next dream is. But you come face to face with the reality of who He is. And your response will be to serve. Your response will be, man, I, I want to do something for Him. I want to do something for the one who is going to give everything for me. She served him. Well, then look what happens. It says in verse 32, at evening when the sun had set. And what's that mean? It was the Sabbath day. So what happens at the evening on the Sabbath day? Sabbath day ends. The sun goes down, the Sabbath day is over. So prior to the Sabbath day, 
All the people who heard about Jesus casting out the demon, they've been waiting. They've been watching the clock. At six o'clock, we can leave. At six o'clock, we can go. And that, I guarantee you, when that clock, ding, hit six, they were gone. Poof. The Bible says in verse 32, At evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city gathered together at the door. They brought everybody. They brought them all. The Bible tells us Jesus was moved with compassion for the, mass, for the masses. Over and over again, it lays that out for us. Mark here, he says he healed many of them. But Luke says he healed them all. So which is it? Well, one is describing, describing how many people are there. And the other is describing the, the, the quality of the healing. He, he healed them all. But there was a lot of people there. Many people. Many people were gathered in that place. And they came and Jesus healed. And everyone that he healed. And everyone that had a demon that he cast out. It was just a temporary fix. They still had a permanent problem. Don't they? They still have a sin problem. They still have a sin issue. When the 5,000 follow him and, and Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, Hey, you guys feed them. And they look at each other and like, oh, Man, I, didn't, I don't even have a lunch for me. When they fed the 5,000, what happened? What did the people do after that? They kept following him, didn't they? What did they want? More food. Feed us. Feed us some more. Heal us. Heal us some more. So Jesus taught a lesson. He said to them, Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And the people looked around and said, Man, this is a hard teaching. What are you saying, Lord? What are you talking about? Pretty simple. If we stop and think about it, He doesn't want anybody to take a bite out of them. There's not enough of them there to go around. But when you eat something, what, what happens to what you eat? It becomes a part of you, doesn't it? It becomes a part of who you are. It enters into your body and becomes you. Unless you eat of my flesh, unless you bring me into you, then you're going to be... I could feed you every day from now till eternity, but it's not going to solve your bigger problem. What happened to all the people? Bible says they left him. They bailed. They bailed why? Because their God was their belly. And when they didn't get what they wanted, that's it. Cut and run. I want this and I've been praying for God to give it to me, but if He don't give it to me, I'm out. I'll find some other system that works. Then you're not coming to Jesus Christ for Him. You're coming to Him for something else, for, for some other reason. They came to Him and He healed many who were sick with various diseases. And He cast out many demons. And He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew Him. He wanted them to keep quiet, not to talk about Him. And then it says in verse 35, Now in the morning, having risen a long time before daylight, He went out and departed to a solitary place and there He prayed. We work our way through the Gospels. One of the things we'll see 
often when Jesus goes off by himself to pray, that it is either just following or just heading into a crisis. There's an issue. Something's coming or something's just happened that, that he needs to seek the Father over. It says he arose a long time before sunrise. Literally, in the Greek, it says he got up at the last watch. That's 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus got up, went off by himself so that he could pray. And the word used for praying is speaking of a continuous action. So he sat down and prayed for a long time, communing with the Father. I don't know what he was praying about, but I imagine one of the things he's praying about is is this struggle with the fact that the people are seeking him for the wrong stuff. They just want healed. They want the demons cast out. And, and, and the Lord wants to do that. But He recognizes in it that all they want is what they want taken care of. And then ten minutes later, they're out. And if it ever happens that what they want isn't what's best for them, and God doesn't do that, they'll bail. Jesus said, a sower went out to sow. You guys remember the story? And he sowed seed on different types of ground. Sometimes he sowed seed and the birds came down and snatched it right up. Sometimes he, he sowed seed and it had no depth of earth. It sprouted up quick, but as soon as the sun came out, it shriveled up and died. When we look at the, the, the parable of the sower, only one soil brought forth fruit. Only one soil was saved. The rest weren't. And the reason Jesus tells that is because there are some times that when our entire relationship with God is all predicated on Him giving me what I want. If He gives me what I want, if my, my life is happy and everything works out the way I want, then I'll follow Him. But see, Jesus said, when He said, come and follow me, remember all the people who came to Him and they said, Lord, I'll follow you, just, just let me bury my father first. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. Well, seems a little harsh. His dad wasn't dead yet. What he's saying is a Hebrew idiom that means, I'll follow you as soon as my dad dies. I'll come follow you. Another guy would come to him and say, Lord, Lord, I, 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 I want to follow you, but... Jesus would respond to him. The birds of the air have nests. Foxes have holes. I don't have a house. You willing to leave your house? Man, the desire of our heart is a sticky thing, isn't it? It can sit down in our core and be something wholly other than Christ and just sit there and and we can come to church and sing songs and raise our hands and look good. But if that desire is not Christ, well, that's a scary place to be. Because Jesus said, come follow me. Come. So he goes away to pray. I think that's what he's praying about. The hearts of the people, they just want their 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 itch scratched you guys ever get those i'm going to put i'm going to put 
sandpaper on one of these pillars so I can scratch my back every now and again. Because sometimes, just like a bear, sometimes you just got to scratch. You just got to get in there. That's what he's saying. All they want is is their itch scratched. It's not about anything else. So he goes and he goes away, finds his place to pray, call on the Lord, uh, uh, just communing with him. Why? Because that's where the strength for him to keep going is. How many days are going to be just like this one? Three years. In those three years of Jesus' public ministry, how many days do you think nobody was looking for him? How many days do you think nobody asked him for healing? Or nobody asked him to give him sight? Or nobody asked... How many, how many days? I, I don't know. I, I think we'll be safe with none, but if there's any Bible scholars in the crowd, you can correct me later. So he's going to pray so that he can have the compassion he wants to have for the people. Because you know what? He, he did not ever tell them no. He didn't ever tell them no. But what did he come to do? Did he come to heal or to save? Did he come to do something permanent or temporary? But if all we can do is get our eyes on the temporary stuff and we don't ever consider the reality of the, of the permanent. Francis Chan uses an illustration. I don't have it with me, but he strings a rope across the church. If that rope stands for eternity, you know how much of that is your life here on earth? A tiny little dot on one end that from the back of the church you wouldn't even be able to see. And we are basing all of our decisions on whether or not to follow Christ by what happens on that dot. Sometimes life is hard just because life is hard. But if your life is hard, difficult, and painful just for that dot, but it stretches all the way across this room, and for that space, it's so good you can't even describe it. Then you can begin to understand why Paul would say, For I do not consider this present suffering worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's temporary. Everything in this life is temporary. It's not permanent. That's Jesus' point. It's not permanent. I came to do something permanent. So it says that as he was praying, Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. But he said to them, let's go to the next town. So I might preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. Which purpose is he talking about? To preach. What message was he preaching? Repent. Repent. You're in sin. Come to the cornerstone and be broken upon the cornerstone and receive that which he has to give. Allow the cornerstone to do that work. To do that work for you. He says, I'm going to keep going. So he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. So he went through the the ten cities around Galilee. From city to city to city. 
preaching in the synagogues the message of repentance. Messiah has come. The message of the permanence of what he is offering. And healing all those who came to him. And casting out the demons of those who came. And then something really interesting happened. Verse 40 it says, Now a leper came to him. Is that, is that okay? According to Leviticus chapter 13, here's what a leper had to do. A leper had to wear uh, rags on the bottom part of his face. He could not comb his hair. He had to leave his hair all crazy. And then he would wear this rag, and everywhere he went, he had to shout, Unclean! 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 If there were people on this side of the street, he had to go to the other side of the street. There were people on both sides of the street, he had to be where the least people were, shouting at the top of his lungs so that everybody knew he was unclean. See, that's what's necessary in the heart of a sinner when they come to Christ. Not the idea, yeah, you know, I I sinned a couple times in my life. The Bible says when Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, you guys remember the story? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. King Uzziah was a king who thought that he would have the right to enter in and, and fulfill the role of the high priest. And so he was a good king, and he did good things, but he got all, you know, high and mighty, started thinking too much of himself. He goes in toward the Holy of Holies, the priests are trying to stop him, and finally God smotes him, gives him leprosy. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And when Isaiah, who was the prophet during that time, stood before the Lord, do you remember what he said? Do you remember the words that came out of his mouth? I am unclean. I'm broke. I'm a sinner. And so Isaiah, broken before the Lord, what did the Lord do for him? He took a coal from the from the from the altar and he brought it over an angel brought it over and touched his lips and said what your sins are purged the the leper is a picture of the sinner and all throughout history Leviticus 13 and 14 it told the people here's what you got to do when when a leper gets cleansed and you know how many times it happened never you ever gone to school and studied something that you never used So this day, this leper comes. This leper hears. From the moment, according to Leviticus 13, the moment he was declared a leper, he was called unclean. He he had to leave his house. He had to leave the city. He could never again have any contact with his family if he had one. He would never again have any human contact or touch of any kind. He had to live outside the city. The only way he could get food is if his family would leave food outside the city for him. Utter outcast. So the leper comes to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You know what he just said there? He just said, I know you have the power to make me clean. I just don't know if you're willing to do it. He came down and he knelt position of humility 
And he said, oh, if you're willing, I know, I know you can do it. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus, what's the next phrase? Moved with compassion. Moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. That's illegal. Against the ceremonial law. You cannot touch the unclean. But what did Jesus come to do? He came to put his hand in the unclean and his other hand in the hand of Almighty God and bridge the gap between the two so that mankind could once again have a relationship with God the Father. And Jesus reached out and he touched him and he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him. The Bible tells in other Gospels he was full of leprosy. So that means his leprosy was well advanced. The stage was well advanced. So whether or not his fingers came back, we don't know. We weren't there. We can ask him when we get to, to heaven if he is there. Immediately, leprosy's gone. Immediately, it's all purged. It's all been taken away. And then look at verse 43. I just want you to, to hear it. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go your way and show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What did Jesus do? What did he do? Man, he, he went, he healed, he touched, he cleansed, and then he gave him something to do. Right? Don't tell nobody, but go to the priests. Show yourself to them. If you read Leviticus chapter 14, you discover that when he went to the priest, there's going to be seven days, an examination, and then seven days of waiting. And then another examination after seven days of waiting. And then they're going to offer a sacrifice for sin. And then they're going to offer a sacrifice for a burnt offering. The sin sacrifice, obviously, is to say, I'm a sinner, and I'm trusting in the blood of, of the Lord, the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the sacrifice to make me clean. And then there's to be a burnt offering, which means I'm wholly consecrated to you. I'm giving myself to you. And then there was this incredible thing that took place when they took two birds. And they put one bird, a bird, a picture of something that flies into heavens, right? And they put it in a clay pot. And they broke the clay pot. There was all this ceremony that pictures exactly what Christ had done for them. So Jesus told this guy, who he just cleansed, who he just made clean. Don't tell nobody, but go to the priests and do what you're supposed to do. And how many times have those priests done anything for, for a cleansed leper? Never. You don't think it's gonna, they're going to think, what's going on? There's a, there's a leper cleansed? He said, go do it for a testimony to them. You want to put it in better terms? Come, follow me. I just made you clean. Come, follow me. What did he do? He ran around telling everybody. I'm sure he's excited. Have you ever felt like God was asking you to do something that didn't make any sense in your mind? Is that mandatory for you? That what God's asking you to do makes sense to you? Or is it enough that He's just asked? 
he's just given a, a directive. The one who has cleansed you from your leprosy, who offers that cleansing and asks, come, follow me. The Bible says that the, the leper, he left. In fact, it says in verse 43, he strictly warned him. I mean, Jesus was speaking to him seriously. Hey, don't do this. Go be a witness to the priests, because the priests are going to hear it secondhand, and they're going to say, no, that guy was never really a leper. Because you didn't go and present yourself to the priest. You didn't go do what you're supposed to do according to the law. So he didn't go back in, and he didn't go meet him. So he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the matter, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Now look, I'm not saying that's where that leper ended. And I can't go too far with that. But I'm just saying, every time they came, Jesus healed. Every time they came to Him, He he tried to give them what they needed. In fact, sometimes when they were needing a healing, He would say to them this phrase, Your sins are forgiven you. And so that you can know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. He gave them the temporary fix. But the problem is, we as men and women, we are all about, what have you done for me lately? Not, nothing's ever satisfied. I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. It's just me. I'm never satisfied. I want something else. I want more. That was good then, but this isn't, now I want, I want, I want, I would like something different. My wanter never stops wanting. That's why my belly makes a horrible God. It can't ever make up its mind. So I choose to follow Jesus. Where he goes, I want to go. Where he stays, I want to stay. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49, Jesus said this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. Only two ways. Fall broken on the rock. Or let the rock fall on you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? What's the other house? But he who heard and did nothing. He's like the man who built his house on the earth without foundation. Against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was very great. Jesus wants us to be healed. He wants us to be healed and set free. But He wants us to be healed and set free from sin. He wants us to be able to find our eternal life in Him. And then He wants us to trust Him for the rest. And He will bring healing. And other times He won't. We know the Apostle Paul wanted healing, prayed three times. God said no. 
actually, Paul, it's better for me if you stay weak. Because then you'll be strong in me. And so Paul said, praise God. Your grace is sufficient for me. It's enough. Just having you. It's enough. And the question I think that we all got to ask ourselves this morning as we consider the word this morning is simply that. Is Christ enough for you? Is it enough? Is it enough what He offers? Is it enough the forgiveness of sins? Is it enough to have eternal life? Is it enough that He came just for that purpose? And if it is, and that is your desire, your treasure, that which you are holding on to, then hear Him when He says, Come and follow Me. And let all that other stuff go. It ain't all that great anyway. It's all going to burn. Isn't it? We don't take nothing with us, right? We don't need it anyway. Not even your coffee. Not even your coffee. We just need Him. <laughs>